0: As we continue our chronological reading of the Gospels, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, down through chapter 10, verse 42, Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Now, here's what we're looking at in today's reading. Jesus is still traveling and ministering in Galilee, the evangelistic mission that's commissioned by Jesus Begins from the Galilee area, and these events fall between the second and third Passover feast of Jesus' ministry. We begin today with Jesus calling for an evangelism campaign in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Verse 35 Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus previously had been ministering around the Sea of Galilee, and he's still in that area. The actual effort is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, which we'll see in the next section of reading. But the basis for the campaign is only recorded by Matthew here in these four verses. The people came in great numbers to Jesus, but afterward, verse 36 says of the people that they were weary and scattered. Both weary and scattered are perfect passive participles in their Greek form. Literally, that means that after hearing Jesus, they were caused to be weary, they were bullied, and they were caused to be scattered. Within a corrupt religious system as existed during that era, where do the people get spiritual nourishment after their encounter with Jesus? The Jewish leadership cared nothing for the people, the people were just pawns who contributed to their power base. This environment is the basis for the evangelistic effort that follows. Then Jesus organizes that visitation program that we talked about. We see here this dealt with in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15 paralleled by Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Now, this passage, by the way, is key to understanding the Gospels. You've got to understand this next section of reading. First, let's read Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. "'And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease.' Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now let's take a look at the seven verse long account from Mark's perspective in Mark chapter six, verse seven. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now Luke's account in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them." So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, from the verses leading up to these passages that we just looked at, we know that Jesus is still based at this time around the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's from this region that Jesus sends forth his twelve apostles to minister. When Jesus sent his apostles out on this occasion, let's take a look at the very specific, I mean very specific, marching orders he gave them in in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. He first of all says in verse 5, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. Matthew, by the way, is the only one that mentions that aspect of the journey. And then secondly, he says, go to Israelites only. And that's mentioned only by Matthew in verse 6. And then he says, preach the message. And here's that message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that in Matthew ten seven and Luke chapter 9, verse 2. Now, here's why this is important. As we've commented regarding other passages in the Gospels, Jesus came to offer to the Jews the fulfillment of the Messianic promises of the Old Testament prophets. These promises consisted of the kingdom of Israel restored to the earth, sovereign and worldwide. This kingdom would have as its head the Messiah himself, and it would last forever. However, it had also been prophesied by Isaiah and Daniel that the Jews would reject the Messiah this time around and that he would be crucified. We see that in Isaiah chapter 53 and also Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Nonetheless, it was necessary that the ministry of Jesus and his apostles make available to the Jews this very kingdom on earth. Now, Matthew takes this occasion to name the Twelve Apostles. We also find a listing of the 12 in two other parallel passages in Mark chapter 3 verses 13 through 19 and Luke chapter 6 verses 12 through 16. Now look at the marching orders found in Matthew chapter 10 verse 8. Here's what he says to the 12. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, is this mandate for all believers throughout all generations, or was this a special unction given to these twelve by Jesus for this particular evangelistic effort? Mark and Luke both seem to shed some light on this. Mark simply says, and gave them power over unclean spirits, while Luke reports, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. In other words, here's the question. Are we leaving something out of our evangelistic message today if we don't fulfill Matthew 10:8 when we evangelize? Now the answer is contextually simple. Nobody assumes that we have been committed to the criteria of Matthew chapter ten verses five through seven. those of course being the three verses that precede verse eight. Therefore, if we acknowledge that these criteria are specifically for this campaign, then it would be contextually dishonest to insist that verse 8 should be treated any differently. So you see, context is very important. Oh, one more thing. A vow of poverty is a key component in this campaign, specifically stated in all three accounts as part of the mission. Now, you don't typically see the people who proclaim that verse 8 applies to all evangelism in all ages. You don't see those people... Embracing this vow of poverty lifestyle. Notice Matthew chapter 10 verses 14 to 15 along with Mark chapter 6 verse 11. And what if they aren't willing to receive these 12 as they go out? Can you say Sodom and Gomorrah? If you'd like more details on that, look at my notes on Genesis chapter 19. Notice how much insight regarding this mission is gained when all three passages are studied together. When either the account of Mark or Luke, when either one of those is taken without the support of the other two, well, certain important details are missing. You can't really grasp the mission without considering the details given in all three of these gospel accounts. And that is why we study through the Bible chronologically comparing parallel passage with parallel passage. Jesus continues his instructions to the apostles in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 42, uh, a completion of the mission that is not dealt with by Mark or Luke. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father, his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end will be saved when they persecute you in this city, flee to another for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the son of man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the masters of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops." And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows." Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. In this passage, Jesus continues his instructions to his disciples. Mark and Luke, as I mentioned, they don't report on these extended commissioning comments by Jesus. He makes some startling statements throughout this passage, but let's make sure we keep it all in proper context. Jesus is still giving instructions to his apostles, the twelve, concerning their preaching the kingdom message. Notice particularly the reference to their synagogues in verse 17. He carefully and thoroughly warns them that their message will not be well received. We already know how this ends. It's the rejection of Jesus as Messiah and then his subsequent crucifixion. However, it was prophesied that this kingdom would be offered, and here it is being offered. That being the case, how do we render the warnings issued by Jesus in this passage? Are these warnings just for the apostles as they're charged here, or Are they to be universally applied to all believers who proclaim the name of Jesus then and now? Certainly, we see that persecution wasn't restricted to just that era, but there's a certain urgency here with this particular commissioning. Jesus refers to the accusation against him in verse 25. That's the one that had occurred back in Mark chapter 3 verse 22. It was in that passage that Jesus was accused of performing miracles in the name of Beelzebub. that was regarded in that day as the chief demon, also known as Satan himself. There's an intense discipleship call here. As we know in retrospect, the time was very limited at this point in the ministry of Jesus. When people take the discipleship call in this passage and universally apply it to all believers today... They usually find that they have to massage the words just a little bit to make them palatable to what we know to be true about priorities in one's Christian life. For instance, look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The kingdom message, the message of the kingdom of God on earth, it was a divisive message, ultimately leading to the crucifixion. Now let's take a look at verse 35. Jesus says, For I have come to, and he says, set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, that verse can only be truly appreciated in light of the urgency of the hour and specifically that kingdom message. What Jesus was calling upon people to do during this time was to drop everything they were doing disregard family ties and close personal relationships and then prepare for the immediate fulfillment of the kingdom reign as prophesied in the old testament think of it like this if you knew that a hurricane was headed your way and would arrive at some point in the next few days wouldn't there be some urgency and some urgent tasks to do that would overshadow family time and work and leisure activities and so forth well certainly there would be Well, that's the kind of urgency in these instructions from Jesus to his apostles on this occasion. So here is Jesus talking about drop everything else and follow me. That's drop everything else discipleship. Context is really important here. Many believers have understood these verses as a mandate to forsake family and friends to pursue the ministry. They lose sight of the special circumstances of this very context. Now, while there are certainly lessons to be learned from this passage, a strict adherence here by believers today often leaves them with feelings of failure and inadequacy. Incidentally, this campaign by Jesus' apostles ends over in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, also Mark six thirty to 32, and Luke chapter 9, verse 10. In those verses, they report back to Jesus the results of their evangelistic efforts under this very mandate. Now, here's a verse that's frequently abused by those who paint salvation as a conditional state rather than what it is, an unconditional covenant between God and the believer. I'm talking about verse 22 here. It says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, before you try to make this verse apply to something that it doesn't, Read the preceding verse, verse 21, to see the saved from what detail? Unquestionably physical death. In other words, it says put to death. So to whom does this guarantee of verse 22 apply? Well, he's still here addressing the 12 specifically, and that's regarding how to succeed in this evangelistic campaign. So here's what Jesus tells them. Don't back off this mission because of persecution and threat of death. Keep on task and you will not be killed, as in, you'll be saved. As a matter of fact, all of the twelve did return safe and sound after this road trip. Oh, there's one more point of interest in this passage. Notice the love and leave 'em aspect of the command to preach here. He tells them not to stick around after they've preached to a city, says that in verse 23. Don't continue to work the city, just move on. And when they go to a city, some will accept and some will reject. When you understand the context, these verses make sense, don't they? If missionaries today strictly adhered to this principle, many areas of the world would never be evangelized. Let me say it one more time. Context, context, context. Context is very important. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.